0: Many successful businesses with global earnings are listed on markets in continental Europe, some of which are exposed to faster-growing regions of the world. So not surprisingly, European stock markets can deliver very good returns, which has been of benefit to funds which invest in them, such as Henderson Euro Trust, which is run by today's guest Tim Stevenson. However... The European economic situation has not been nearly so good in recent years and regional politics can be relatively unstable and these can have a detrimental effect on share prices. So Tim, to what extent do you take European politics into account in terms of how you invest Henderson Eurotrust?
1: Well, obviously, the politics and the economics is an important point for us to take into account. But um, just, uh, just to put you right on one thing in terms of the European economies, the European economies have actually been doing much better the last two years. The fact of the matter is, is that European growth for many years has been lower than other regions, it will be in the future, and Europe will not see such rapid growth, it is a very mature economy. So I think it's wrong to expect too much growth in Europe. And if anything, from here, we'll see slower growth anyway, going forward. But European economies have been doing okay. And I'm employment's come down a long way, which has obviously been very positive for the markets. Um, as for politics, uh, you cannot invest in Europe without obviously being aware of what's going on in the political situation, um, which has been uh, changing subtly or not so subtly, if you like. I mean, the very fact that Macron could have done so well and coming from outside all political parties just shows the extent of dissatisfaction which exists across arguably the whole world in politics but also in europe but the european solution to that has frankly been pretty pragmatic um macron wants to do what can be done in france he knows that france can do it he said about making sure that france does it and i think that'll be positive equally then if you sort of jump across to germany We are moving into the sort of post Merkel era at some stage in the next sort of three to four to five years kind of thing. That will be a transition after many years of stability. Um, We need to watch that carefully, although my suspicion is that it'll just be a sort of small shift to the left rather than anything too radical. Um, And you have the protest parties. You have the AFD in Germany, the National Front in France. You have the protest parties in Italy as well, which have obviously made a lot of noise. And you've got the extraordinary situation in Italy of... A coalition between the sort of, very simplistically, the far right and the far left. So this is just a reflection of the general dissatisfaction which people feel with their politicians, which you could say is why Trump got elected, why Brexit happened and that sort of stuff. It isn't actually because there's a huge amount going wrong in economies.
0: Okay. now it is obviously, like you say, a bit of a moving feast. Um, Have you reduced or sold down any holdings um, as a result of political concerns? We
1: have sold a position we had in an Italian bank, just simply because uh, the political situation in Italy did have us quite worried for quite some time. Um, Having said that, I don't think it's ever realistic for Italy to consider leaving the euro, uh, leaving Europe, and so on. Um, I think even the um, two sort of diverse sort of coalition partners recognize that that's the case now as well. Um, So that was the position we sold down. Which Um,
0: bank was it?
1: It was Intesa Sao Paulo Saving Shares, which we'd done extremely well from, but we'd also had a lot of income from it. Um, It's not a reflection of the um, ability or the capabilities of Intesa Sao Paulo. It's just simply because. That didn't really – it was just the political risk had us concerned on that. But generally we won't let politics interfere with us too much because ultimately and to some extent we're trying to – we're possibly in the process of trying to find that out in the UK as well. Economics is probably more important than politics at some stage.
0: Now, you run Henderson Uber Trust according to a growth strategy, but some analysts think that value style investing may once again become the more profitable way to invest. If this happens, will you make any changes to the way you run the trust?
1: Henderson Eurotrust has been run for well, well over 25 years now. We had our 25th birthday last year um, and the basis on which we've been investing on is investing in good quality, consistent, reliable companies that can increase the returns to us. It sounds very long-winded but it deliberately avoids using the words pure growth or pure value. Um, because I honestly think that those two terms are misleading. There are plenty of value companies out there which are just in long-term decline and which just relentlessly get cheaper and cheaper, you know, the so-called value traps. Um, They may well have rallies um, from time to time. There are also a lot of growth stocks, many of which we've owned and which we've done extremely well from and which have run extremely strongly. And in some cases, we have taken some profit on those because we feel that they're ahead of the game slightly. Um, But I think this whole sort of growth versus value Idea is just simply misleading. Now I have stocks which we've held in the portfolio for many years, such as Deutsche Post, which you could make a very strong case for being one of the best growth stocks in the world, with its position in DHL and the over forty percent, I think over forty-five percent position they have or market share they have in overall logistics in Asia, and that stock is yielding, I believe, somewhere between three and a half and four percent dividend yield each year. It's growing steadily. It's got a legacy building, a uh, legacy business in terms of the mail side of the operations, which is hard work. But it is very cheaply valued. So, it, just to say you're sort of going to move away from growth and into value, it just it just doesn't make any sense.
0: Okay. So, how important are valuations when you're deciding whether to invest in a stock or not? I probably don't get as
1: hung up about valuations as many people do. Um, The simple fact is and all the evidence is there to prove it over many years that if you buy a good quality company, the price at which you actually buy it is immaterial it may make a difference on a three months six months you know even a year mm-hmm. view, um, but if you have selected the right company which is returning uh, to shareholders you know, good returns to shareholders, which is creating and uh, achieving returns which is greater than its cost of capital and it 's plowing that uh, return partly back into the business, partly to you as shareholders, then that will turn out to be a very good long term investment so the crucial ingredient really is patience.
0: OK. Um, just more generally, um, how do the valuations of European listed companies compare to other developed markets at the moment? It,
1: again, this is such a difficult thing because when you take the overall averages, uh, Europe is trading at historically very low levels. Um, there's been no credit given to Europe for uh, the economic recovery of the last few years for a degree of um, political and uh, economic stability at the moment for the better earnings growth we've had for the last two years and so on, none of that's been reflected in the performance of the market. So Europe has dramatically underperformed many other world markets. Uh, In terms of specific companies, you can always find companies such as SAP, for example. SAP is much more expensive, I believe, than Oracle. Um, It's uh, sort of otherwise known as its peer, if you like, in the USA. Um, But there's a very good reason for that. It's because SAP is actually uh, gaining share and doing quite well at the moment, um, whereas Oracle, from what I understand, is is not being as successful. Um, so there are always going to be differences within there, but when you look at the overall averages, Europe is screaming opportunity to a lot of people.
0: Now you said the economic picture um, is doing much better, so. What would you say are the main risks to the companies you invest in at the moment?
1: Yes, um, I should have made clear at the outset, of course, that EuroTrust, Henderson EuroTrust does not invest in the UK. Um, So my comments are limited to purely the uh, European excluding the UK companies. Um, And in terms of uh, the the risks to the companies – I think the biggest risk is obviously protectionism and the backlash to that, um, tariffs and that kind of stuff. Um, and I think a sort of global slowdown, if we do drift or find ourselves in that situation at some stage in 2019, 2020, then inevitably that would uh, be a challenge to some of the more cyclical um, oriented companies in Europe. Um Tax rates are generally coming down in Europe, so that's supportive of earnings, um, so that's helpful. Uh, interest rates, I don't think, are going to change in Europe. Um, so I think we're set for a, a fairly steady, some could call it quite dull, period of uh, earnings growth. But remember, we're in a low inflation, low growth world, and in those circumstances, if you're achieving between 5 and 10% earnings growth per year, that's probably not to be sniffed at.
0: Okay. Now, on the subject of earnings, you actually said earlier this year that you were optimistic for the prospects on earnings, have you changed this view at all?
1: No. Um, if anything, the evidence is now coming out sort of uh, midway through the year and with uh, a whole bunch of uh, quarterly results coming out at the moment, uh, that most earnings are meeting expectations um, or sometimes beating expectations. Um, so, uh, whereas we have seen in previous years a fairly optimistic outlook to begin with of, say, 12 to 15% earnings growth, that's faded in the course of the year to sometimes to as little as nothing. Um, for the last two years, we've set off with around about a sort of 10% earnings growth forecast. And by the end of the year, we've actually seen that being achieved. And so far, um, touching wood, which of course is an important uh, investment ingredient always, um, then we do find that uh, earnings are holding up okay.
0: Okay. Are there any areas in particular uh, where earnings could do well?
1: It's difficult. I mean, obviously, the financials, the banks are suffering because there simply is no uh, positive interest margin coming through. Um, So banks are suffering a bit. Um, The cyclicals are doing a little bit better. But then I think you've got to question the longevity of that. Um, We've got to watch out for the raw material costs in a number of companies and whether that's actually going to hurt earnings. Um, So it it depends very much on the sort of the stage of the particular cycle and the investment cycle for that company as well. I mean, if it's a company that's undertaken a lot of expansion in the last couple of years – I think people are sometimes too impatient in expecting the results for that to come through too quickly. Um, so it, it's difficult to sort of say that there's you know, one sector that's particularly better than another.
0: Now we've been talking about sectors and different geographies, but to what extent do you actually consider geographic countries and sectors when you're constructing the trust portfolio? Um, and you know, to what extent do you assess shares purely according to their own merits?
1: It's purely on the merits of the actual companies. Uh, the geographical distribution means absolutely nothing, really. Um, you know, The fact that uh, Nestle is a, a Swiss company um, is makes no difference because obviously it is um, um, uh, very much a sort of global company. Indeed, my nephew was trying to convince me uh, about a month ago that Nestle is actually an Australian company, which um, I did suggest to him that he chose <laughs> the wrong guy to have that argument with. Um, <laughs> But um, so the geographical location of the company doesn't matter. It's the areas that they're involved in and whether they can drive growth independently of the economic cycle. Those are the names, you know, which I really like. So, driven by demographic forces, helping healthcare for the sake of argument, um, by savings and those kind of things. The sector is less important. Just on the pure sort of geographic thing, I alluded earlier on to the fact that I'd sold uh, Intesa Sao Paolo in Italy purely because of the political risk. In some extreme cases, it can uh, make a difference. And in the case of Italy with one holding, it did make a difference. But generally, um, the geographical location doesn't matter. Sector to a lesser extent, um, you know, we keep an eye on it. But sometimes the classifications within sectors just don't make any sense to me either.
0: You say you don't particularly consider, um, certain geographies. So why does the trust have a, a substantial weighting to Germany and France, which each account for about a quarter of the trust's assets?
1: That's simply because of the merits of those particular businesses. Um, so, for example, um, there are uh, two healthcare companies in Germany which I think have fantastic long-term prospects and I'm very happy to participate in those. Which two are these? Uh, well, is? for example, Fresenius, um, but also Fresenius Medical Care um, in kidney dialysis is, is a world leader, um, along with um, Davita in the United States. But Fresenius Medical Care's global position is much stronger than Devita's. Um, and you know, sadly, um, kidney failure is something which needs treating and is growing worldwide. So um, it happens to be listed in in um, Germany, but it could just as easily almost be a US company, really. Um, and in the case of France, again, it's purely on a stock selection basis. Uh, one of, you know, alluding again to demographics, probably one of the most interesting uh, savings plays um, in Europe is Amundi with its uh, fund management operations in Italy, Italy and in France and in a number of other European countries. Um, so that to us is a very undervalued uh, way of actually playing what we think is a very good long-term growth theme.
0: Okay now you mentioned um, German healthcare companies but are there any particular type of um, German companies that you like?
1: It's less I mean for example we have none of the uh, German auto manufacturers, Uh, we have none of the component suppliers, Um, we have software companies with SAP, Uh, we have a position in Munich Re, uh, the big reinsurance company which is just terrific long-term uh, strong returns um, we have a very big position in Deutsche Post as well which as I say is very much a global company with uh, DHL which is a highly successful company um, so it's, it's purely driven by the stocks which we're actually in.
0: Okay there have been trade tensions between the US and the rest of the world but um, it now seems that there's a resolution between the US and the European Union so will this be of benefit to in particular some of the German multinationals that you invest in,
1: It certainly will. I mean, the whole point about sort of global trade is is good for everybody. It is generally a win-win thing. Um, And uh, even uh, the president of the United States has sort of perhaps begun to realize that until his next tweet, maybe. Um, But yes, I mean, it certainly I I wouldn't say it's necessarily a benefit because it already exists. Um, But I think it if you like it is it's potentially and hopefully and in a sustainable way um, actually removes the potential hurdle. Um, So I would look at it more in those terms. Um, But I think the overall sort of uh, nimbyism that's sort of happening in the world, and and obviously you see it sort of writ large with um, the ridiculous Brexit process and so on, um, is uh, countries sort of trying to protect what they see as their own interests against somebody else without realizing actually that we're all so deeply integrated already to try and unravel some of these things uh, is potentially more complex and more dangerous um, than actually uh, accounted for. Um, you know, just looking at the recent results from General Motors, for example, and the fact that they're warning on the sort of costs incurred because of the protectionism, the steel prices and everything else. Um, so it's, uh, it, it, it's quite a lot more complex than uh, some of the sort of the headline-grabbing, tweets and so on, uh, which are put out by um, any of the uh, characters involved in uh, trying to uh, influence people on this particular debate.
0: How many holdings does Henderson Eurotrust have? And do you expect to increase or decrease the number in the near future?
1: We have around about 45 positions. Um, We have historically been running at around about 50 positions. Um, I think 45 is around about where we are. Um, We've been fairly consistent, I would say, probably 45 to 55 over the last um, 5 to 10 years. Um, I think uh, somewhere in the overall sort of uh, regulations or the... the, the, um, the monitoring of the whole thing, it says between 40 and 60. Um, it would be neater just to say around about 50, and that's probably where we will stay.
0: Now, over the past year, Henderson Euratrust's nav returns haven't kept up with those of its peer group average. Why?
1: Well, I think one of the things here is the fact that the peer group average is heavily influenced by the very successful Jupiter European Opportunities Fund, which has uh, been a very successful fund, but actually which includes a lot of UK holdings in it. Uh, Nevertheless, it's done extremely well. Um, We do not include the UK. So even though the peer group includes that, um, that obviously would influence us. Um, Broadly speaking, we've continued to beat the index um, by uh, quite a sizable margin. Um, We're keeping costs under control. Um, The income account is looking pretty healthy. Um, So I'm not too concerned by um, how we're looking against what is a fairly short and fairly small uh, peer group of European investment trusts, bearing in mind the big differences between small cap, income bias, um, but also, of course, those that include the UK, which we deliberately don't. We're trying to provide to shareholders an opportunity to invest in what we think are some of the world's best companies that happen to be listed in Europe um, in order to give them exposure which they may not readily have in an existing UK portfolio so we're trying to add something different and that's what we've been doing since uh what since 1995 in fact
0: now Henderson you Trust share price hasn't been keeping up with its nav so the discount has widened why has share price lagged a bit
1: this is uh, – again, I mean you're going to get that always in investment trusts. Um, it would be a terrific study for somebody to undertake actually the predictive abilities of discounts because discounts tend to narrow when people get more optimistic of a region um, then a region begins to outperform. And then you see the inverse effect. when People begin to get a bit more cautious about economic growth, earnings growth, politics that we've been discussing and so on. Then they become more cautious of a region and they'd sell the whole sector down. So you've seen all European investment trusts uh, discounts have tended to widen out. Inevitably, within that, some have widened more than others. Um, you know, we do keep an eye on our discount. We find it frustrating. Um, but at the end of the day, there's not a huge amount that we can or are prepared to do about it. Um, and in some ways, if anybody is looking at Henderson Eurotrust, then you need to consider the long term view and consider to yourself that perhaps that's actually an opportunity. You know, if, if you're looking to invest in Europe, you're actually buying an asset at a discount. Um, so for a new shareholder, Um, it is an opportunity for an existing shareholder it is slightly frustrating because your value on your um, monthly or quarterly or annual um, valuation shows that it's actually worth slightly less even though the actual underlying net asset value does but that's one of the quirks um, or features if you like of the investment trusts which you can actually use to your own advantage so it's not something which i think anybody should lose too much sleep about and uh, the board anyway keeps a very close eye on it. If the board feels that that uh, uh, discount is widening too far, um, then the board and the manager, then you know, there are things that we can do if we feel that it's necessary to do so.
0: Henderson Eurotrust has increased its dividend every year for well over a decade. Do you aim to continue doing this and how easy will it be?
1: Uh, We certainly aim to do it, absolutely. Um, It's one of the things that Henderson Eurotrust prides itself on is actually trying to achieve capital growth uh, while at the same time trying to grow the income each year. Um, the, those that uh, have read the annual report very carefully last year will have seen that we actually added to the revenue reserve last year by quite a sizable amount. Um, we finished our year end uh, at the end of July this year. And we will then need to look very carefully at how the revenue is. Um, we increased our interim dividend at the end of January. Um, we said at the time that we expect to at least maintain the final dividend. Um, and uh, just um, you, know, you can actually just look at the come income and the ex-income energy. AV, which is published on a daily basis, and you can see that it's uh, pretty obvious that we can actually, uh, we are going to be in a position to increase the final dividend as well. Um, So, the intention is always to grow the dividend. Um, We will certainly try to do that, but the primary objective is obviously capital preservation, capital growth, and a growing income as well, and that's what we intend to try to continue to do.
0: Okay. Now, in your stock selections, do you deliberately um, pick ones to generate an income
1: there are a number of holdings in the portfolio which do generate a bit of income for me which you know maybe otherwise I wouldn't necessarily be holding um, so for example I mentioned uh, Munich Re earlier on which has a very big income but in fact that's a very good quality company anyway I'd be happy to hold that and Mundio also mentioned that also has a good t- income with it Deutsche Post I mentioned that also has a good income attached to it uh, we have a position in Deutsche Telekom which has not performed for us it really hasn't helped over the last 12 months Telecoms continues to be a pretty tough area for uh, for all the operators, but again, that is a company which has provided uh, quite a reasonable amount of income for us. Uh, a number of our banks, um, both ING and Crédit Agricole, um, have provided a bit of income for us as well, um, and they are there. But um, they're not there just because of the income, and I will not buy something just to strip the income out of it. What I'm looking for is a company that can give us a growing dividend, which is what we've seen in something, uh, for example, like Deutsche Post over many years, um, but also um, can pay us a reasonable amount of income.
0: Okay, thank you, Tim. A really interesting analysis of the effect of European politics and stock markets and insight into Henderson Eurotrust. That brings us to the end of this interview, but you can read more on European equities and the funds which invest in them on the website at www.investorschronicle.co.uk. Thank you for listening.